Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning. I invite you to take your Bibles now, and if you would, open to the book of Second Chronicles there in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 32 this morning. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer as we come to His Word. Father, what a glorious thing to be here as the family of God gathered together in Your presence and with one another, worshiping together, looking forward to that day. We will sing hallelujah. For the Lord our God reigns as we are there in your presence in person. We see you face to face. How we long for that day. Until that day as we live in this world, we are so grateful that we have these opportunities to gather as family and to gather here in your presence to open your word. And here we hear from you the very Word of God. So may it penetrate our, not just our ears, but our hearts this morning. May we be receptive to listen and to learn. May we learn of you that we might love you more. May we learn from you that we might be changed, that we might be equipped and enabled to live for you in these days until that day when you call us home and we are with you face to face. So in these moments, we commit ourselves to you and ask your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. As I get the privilege up here of of being part of of the band and I look out and I see your faces and I get to see you a little bit before I step up to begin speaking, then I As I look in your faces, I know so many of you who have gone through very difficult times. So many of you have gone through times of hardship, times of suffering, times of sorrow, times of pain. I also know that if you have not gone through such times yet, most of us will go through such times at some point. Sometimes the problems and the struggles and the difficulties of life come upon us like an earthquake. An earthquake strikes without warning. It strikes unexpectedly. It can be mild or it can be devastating. Sometimes life's troubles are like that. Other times life's struggles and life's troubles and life's problems come more like a storm brewing on the horizon. I sit on my back deck which faces west and almost every storm comes from the west and I can, I can look out and I can see the, see the clouds building, growing in height and growing darker and you see lightning flashing and you begin to hear the rumbles as the storm moves in. Sometimes storms come in very slowly and sometimes they come in very quickly. Sometimes troubles come in our life that way. We can see them coming before they hit. And what are we to do in the face of an approaching storm in life? 
That really is what we find before us in our passage this morning here in Second Chronicles chapter 32. As we today look at another chapter in the life of King Hezekiah. We began this, a couple, this study a couple of weeks ago. You know, the Bible devotes 11 chapters to the life of King Hezekiah. Three chapters in Second Kings, four chapters here in Second Chronicles, and four chapters in Isaiah's prophecy, the book of Isaiah. Eleven chapters, and what that tells me is that the Holy Spirit thinks his life has a lot for us to learn from. And so he puts quite a bit of material here for us. In fact, back in 2 Kings chapter 18, it says that there was no one like Hezekiah among all the kings of Judah, not among those who came before him nor those who came after. None who served with the faithfulness that he did. None who loved God like he did. None who were as devoted to the Lord as he was. None who were as faithful as following the Lord's commands as he was. So I think he's well worth spending some time with. So another lesson here, another couple more to come as we look at this marvelous man and his example. As our chapter opens here in chapter 32, it is now the 14th year since he became king. The 14th year of his reign. And so it's about 13 years after the events that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in chapter 29, 30, and 31, where King Hezekiah began and instituted some reforms in the land. Reforms that led to a marvelous national revival. As Hezekiah follows his father, who was one of the most wicked kings, King Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings in Judah, and a time that was among the most dark times, as that's really the theme of our whole series of lessons here, a couple of bright lights, Hezekiah, and later we'll look at Josiah, in very dark times in Israel's history, time when the nation was descending in a spiral of sin against God, rebellion against God. And King Hezekiah's father, again, was one of the worst. And as Hezekiah, with a real heart for God, from the very moment he stepped into the throne, he began reforms and it led to this marvelous revival where the the people began to clear out the idols of the land that had come in during the time of King Ahaz. It says literally there were idols on every street corner in Jerusalem and throughout all the land. And they cleared out the high places. And the temple which had been shuttered had been closed up. The temple of God officially had ceased to function during the time of King Ahaz. It was reopened and cleansed and remodeled and refurbished and Worship of God has come back and the people are joyful and enthusiastic that they are following God. Their hearts have been turned back to God. It is a marvelous time in Judah. And just notice with me, before we jump into chapter 32, look back at chapter 31, the last couple of verses, verse 20. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, And what he did was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of the God and in accordance with the the law and the commandments seeking his God, he did with all his heart 
and prospered. There was no just doing things because it was duty. He was serving God out of the depths of his heart. And so was the nation. And so for these, for these 13 years that since the revival began, King Hezekiah and all the nation of Judah have continued to be devoted to God, continued to follow God's commands, continued to follow the Lord. And these years have been amazing years of national prosperity and growth and peace. We need just a little bit of history here, some of the historical background, because at this time of King Hezekiah, the nation of Assyria has been the world-dominant power for about a hundred years. The Assyrian Empire is at this time is kind of that darker area there in the in the middle. And uh, it was the Assyrian Empire who, about 20 years before this, had carried off, well, about 40 years before this, had, had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and about 20 years before this had basically taken off most of the Israelites, the northern kingdom of Israel. They'd taken them as exiles into other countries. And back when Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, was king of Judah, Ahaz had begun paying tributes to Assyria rather than have Assyria overrun them and conquer them. But over time, the Assyrian empire had begun to be distracted with other things after they had defeated the northern kingdom of Israel. Other matters had taken precedence. There was regime change. There was some struggles and, and problems with, with the area down in Babylon. And so when Hezekiah became king, he almost immediately stopped paying tribute to Assyria, as did then some other countries around Judah. Because... Assyria was preoccupied. That hadn't been a problem until now. The year now is 701 B.C. And Sennacherib, who's now the king in Assyria, has resolved the other issues, the other problems, and he now has turned his attention south towards Judah. And a problem starts to emerge. Chapter 32 now. Verse 1, after these things and after these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And we come to this verse after the last three chapters, and it catches us a little bit off guard. Because we think that this verse should read this way. After these things, after all that's happened in chapter 29 and 30 and 31, and after all these acts of faithfulness of Hezekiah and all the people of Judah, King Hezekiah lived out his his days in peace and in tranquility and in prosperity and in, you know, just... He sailed through the rest of the years of his days as kings. That's what we would expect to read, right? Isn't that what should happen if we are obeying God and following God with all of our heart? Hmm. The first thing 
we need to do to prepare for problems and struggles and troubles and even persecution in our life is to recognize that trials will come, even to the faithful. Righteous people are not exempt from trials. Righteous people will suffer. They will endure and experience trials and trouble and difficulty. Bad things do happen to good people. And there's a tendency to question when they come our way. There's a tendency for us to go, why me? Why is this happening to me? Here I am. I love God. I'm following Him. And look, I'm doing good. And here come all these problems. Sadly, many Christians truly are caught off guard when such things happen. They are devastated and broken. They're unprepared because many have been listening to some very erroneous and unbiblical teaching that is taught from pulpits today, often on radio and on TV, where there are men who stand and say, Christians should always be happy, prosperous, wealthy, healthy, victorious. But that is not what the Bible says. Matter of fact, Scripture quite clearly says otherwise. One example, Psalm 34, 19 Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. There are many ways that the Lord delivers, but it doesn't say that he keeps us from troubles. It says he delivers us through them. He delivers us from them. He delivers us in them, but we will, as righteous people, not be exempt from trouble. In fact, You may have many afflictions. Paul, writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, all will be persecuted. Don't be caught off guard. First thing that you need to do, if you have ever been led to believe otherwise, is is you need to understand that Troubles and difficulties will come your way, even as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. One reason that will happen is because the Bible informs us we have an enemy. If you have an enemy and if you are on the battlefield, you should expect that life will have trouble and difficulty. And the Bible informs us that we are indeed in a battle. We have an enemy, and in fact, we are in enemy turf. We become believers in Jesus Christ. We have a new home. Our home is in heaven. Our citizenship has been transferred from earth to heaven. That is our home, and we are here on earth, but earth is enemy territory. The ruler of this world, the scripture says, is the prince of the power of the air. And it's not speaking of Jesus, it's speaking of Satan. 
He is the ruler in this world. It doesn't mean that God is not sovereign, but it does mean that Satan is the God of this world. He is the enemy. God is sovereign over him, yes, but we have an enemy who is powerful. We are not on a cruise ship just floating through life and expect life to be this wonderful time of great food and great fun and no cares. We're not on a cruise ship. We're on a battleship. That's why Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, but be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. As God's children, when we seek to live for God, our enemy doesn't like that. And he will aim to stop us. And so this really shouldn't be a surprise that after Israel has turned from decades of running away from God, from decades of being in the control of Satan, from Satan having their hearts, to turning to God in revival and honoring and serving God alone, that now Satan wants them back, that he is not happy, that he brings trouble upon Israel. While it is true that we have an enemy who is out for our destruction, the Bible is also, however, very clear of this, and that is that God is sovereign, that God has a purpose that he uses trials and difficulties and sufferings and persecution in our lives for a purpose. As we said, Satan is the God of this age. He is the God of this world, but he is not in charge. God is sovereign. And God works for our good through trials and sufferings and difficulties, even when Satan uses and intends these for our harm. God does not let us suffer for no reason at all. We may not understand why, but God allows trials to come into the lives of his children for an ultimate good, for a purpose. That's why James writes in James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. God works through our through the trials and the testings and the difficulties and the, the persecutions in our life to grow us and develop us, to make us strong as his followers. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4 and says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He says life sometimes is hard and this, the sufferings may be severe and it may be even causing us to waste away physically. But inwardly, spiritually, we are being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God is working through our trials not just to grow us strong. He's also working a good in our lives and more than just good in this life. They are achieving for us an eternal glory, eternal rewards, eternal treasures. So we don't lose heart. God uses trials for a purpose. 
So first thing, to be ready for the inevitable time when those storms and difficulties in life come is we need to know that they will come. But God has a purpose in them. A second truth we need to learn here, we find and pick it up in verse 2. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city. And they helped them. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brooks that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers on it. And outside it he built another wall, and he strengthened the millow in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set combat commanders over the people. As Hezekiah sees this storm, this threat emerging and coming toward them, he begins to plan and to work hard to get ready. They began, it seems, apparently long before Assyria was actually coming and seem to redouble their efforts as Syria is actually on the way. He gathers the people, the leaders and the people together and says, we got, we got some work to do. And they blocked the springs and the wells in the area. When the, when the forces of Assyria arrive here at the city and they camp around and lay siege, what we don't want to do is make it easy for them where they can just get water out of our wells. So they, the people went out and they began to plug up all the wells and to cover all the wells. So when they come, and if you've been to, to Israel and been around Jerusalem, you know that out in the area around it, it's dry. And in dry season, there is no rainwater to drink. And without wells, it's going to make it hard. So they, so they do that. One thing it, it kind of hints at here, it talks about it a little bit more later in the chapter and over in Second Kings, one of the things they did was they began to dig a tunnel, a tunnel that, that went from the spring of Gihon, which is outside of the city of Jerusalem, underground through solid rock. They tunneled 1,750 foot, that's just a little over a third of a mile, underground to bring water under the city into down there at the bottom on the, on the west side of the city, which is now the Pool of Siloam. You can go there today and still go through Hezekiah's tunnel. They started at each end of down and down at the bottom and up at the top and tunneled through solid rock a third of a mile and met in the middle. An engineering marvel. And as I say, still there today, you can go see it. That way they had plenty of water for them, but there wasn't water for the Assyrians when they arrived. He went on and says they, they repaired the broken walls, places where the walls were weak or broken down. They, they fixed them. They reinforced the original walls of the city of David, the, the very heart, the central part of the city. And they built towers on those walls. Then they built another wall outside covering a bigger perimeter of the city. He began a massive arms production, producing weapons and shields, it says, in abundance. He instituted a militia, not just the, the army they had, but said now everybody's part of the army, and put commanders over them. They got ready. 
The lesson from all of that for us is that we should prepare for the problems that we can anticipate. As we said, some problems in life come at us without any warning, but very often we can see the problem building or a situation on the horizon. And it is wisdom and it is biblical for us, when possible, to do our best to get ready for a problem. God expects us to work hard, to use the brains He has given us and the resources He has given us to plan well and to prepare well. Sadly, there are sometimes Christians who just sit there and go, well, you know, they act super spiritual and I'm, I don't need to worry about any of that. I'm just going to trust God. And trust God we should. That'll come up here in a moment. But God also expects us to do what is prudent, to be wise. Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon extols the virtue of the ants. The little ant who he praises it for its work ethic and its preparation for the coming winter. He says of the ant, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest so that when winter comes, the ant has provisions. Over my years in ministry, I at times have heard people sometimes blame God or blame other people for their troubles when sometimes they are the result not of unexpected things, circumstances, but they're a result of their own laziness or their own failure to plan and prepare. The Scripture is very clear. It condemns laziness and it praises planning and it praises hard work. That is wisdom and it is godly. So, make a plan. Make reasonable preparations for situations that might come up or that you are facing. Check the batteries in your flashlights. Make sure your cell phone's charged before you go into St. Louis or wherever. Check the oil and tire pressures in your car before you take a trip. Read the directions. Guilty. Check references before you sign a contract. (laughs) Know where the fire escape is. Is that enough? That's reasonable. That's common sense. It's godliness. Preparing for problems and potential problems. Many problems can be avoided. Much trouble can be mitigated with hard work and preparation. That is a good lesson here from... Hezekiah, we are to prepare physically and practically for trouble. We are also to prepare spiritually. We are to, as the old saying goes, to work as if everything depends on us. And we are to pray and trust in God as though it all depends on him. Because ultimately it does. But that brings me to the final point in preparing for troubles and problems. We find it in verses 6 through 8, the second half of verse 6. Hezekiah, it says, gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. 
For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. King Hezekiah calls for a meeting. Calls everybody in town, everybody in the area to gather together. Comes out and he addresses the whole city. He says, folks, in essence, trust God. Trust God. Work hard, prepare well, but trust God. You see, some of you can identify with this, that there is often a great tendency when trouble comes to fall apart. Or when the storm looks to be out there on the horizon to start to panic, to worry, to fret, to fear, to be distraught and destroyed emotionally and spiritually in fear. But that is not what we are to be and do as believers in Jesus Christ. It is practical and it is right to prepare but not to fear, not to worry, not to fret. We are to trust God. Notice it says here, in verse, the last verse we read, the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah. They didn't fall apart in fear. I like the way the King James puts it. King James says that they rested themselves upon his word. What are you when the trouble, when you see trouble potentially coming? Are you one who rests or are you one who falls apart? There's a very big difference. What it is to go in with confidence. I have had the privilege over the years with many of you walking through some very dark, difficult times in your lives as you face disease, as you go through Disease, as you go through loss of a loved one, as you go through various persecutions and difficulties. And I have seen very many of you who, instead of falling apart, you go in with calm. With what Philippians says is that peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that doesn't make sense. How do you do that? It's by resting, by trusting in God. But they rested upon Hezekiah's words, so let's look at them just a little bit very quickly. Look at verse 7. Notice what he says. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. See, if you hear those words, do they sound familiar at all? Yeah. If If they sound familiar, you may recognize them, probably recognize them from the book of Joshua. You see, Hezekiah has read the book. He's gone back and he's read Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. He's basically quoting where God speaks to Joshua as they are about to go into the land and face giants. And God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you, God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You're not alone. God is with you, so don't be frightened. 
Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Hezekiah is quoting for them, for them from Joshua and he's claiming God's promise to the nation and for the nation. He's saying, if you'll listen to God, God is with you. Be strong and courageous. He continues. Notice he says, Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with them. With an arm of flesh, that's what he has. But with us is the Lord our God. What he's saying is, God is bigger than our problem. But again, he's not just spouting this from something he made up. He's going back. He's read the book. He knows the account in 2 Kings chapter 6 where the prophet Elijah has been helping out the king of Israel because there's this other king who, this from Syria who has been trying to defeat the Israelites. And every time he goes, he's somehow... They know what the king of Syria is going to do before the king of Syria does it. He doesn't know how that's happening. The spies find out. There's this prophet, this guy named Elisha, who's giving intel. He's getting it from God. He's giving it to them. And so they know what you're going to do, and they're always ready for you. And the king of Syria decides, if I'm going to take this country, I've got to get that guy. And so he goes and he sends an army down to this little town of Dothan where, where Elisha lives, surrounds the town in the middle of the night, and... They wake up the next morning and and Elisha's servant wakes up. He goes, he opens the door to the the house to get the milk on the doorstep or the paper or whatever. And he looks up and he sees they're surrounded by, by an army and there's chariots and soldiers. And he runs, he freaks out, runs back in the house. Elisha, we're surrounded by this army and they're going to, what are we going to do? Elisha says, relax. He says, quote, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us, then more than those who are with them. And I'm pretty sure the servant's words at that point are, are you nuts? Have you looked outside? Because if you look outside, you see there's a whole lot of them. And Elisha just prays. He says, Lord, open his eyes. Go look outside again. The servant goes and looks outside and what he sees is an army of angels who are surrounding them and protecting them. Brothers and sisters, may we understand the God who is with us is greater than our problem. This enemy that Hezekiah is about to face is huge. Next week we'll see that this, that there is this delegation that Sennacherib sends to, to Jerusalem to ask for their surrender. The little delegation includes a few soldiers, 185,000 of them. Now the rest of them are still down besieging these other cities that they're taking, but he just sends a, a little group of 185,000 soldiers. Bush Stadium seats 44,494 people. If you filled Bush Stadium four times, Plus change, you get 180,000 soldiers. Is that an imposing force? That's what Hezekiah is about to face. But Hezekiah's words to the people is, Hey guys, 
Those with us are more than those with them. God is bigger than our problem. Hezekiah's speech was motivating to the people. It was comforting to the people. It was encouraging to the people because it wasn't the typical coach going to his team in halftime with a bunch of, Hey guys, come on, we can do it. Rah, rah, pump you up emotionally, you know, get yourself ready because you can go out there, we can win. And the guys are going, no, we can't coach. They're five times bigger than us and they, and you know, the, The coaches are obliged at halftime to say, come on guys, you can do it, when they don't have a chance. That wasn't what Hezekiah did. He didn't take them a bunch of empty words, he took to them the word of God. He says, hey, guys, God is with us. The one who is with us is the bigger than whatever they got. Brothers and sisters, the best way that you can prepare yourself for troubles and difficulties, for persecutions and trials in this life, is right now to begin feeding yourself on the Word of God. Here's the sustenance you need. Here's the fuel you need. Here's the truth you need. For when the trials come, you can say, yeah, cancer's real. Yeah, losing my job is real. Yeah, a um, an antagonistic boss is real. A difficult neighbor is real. But this is the truth of God. And whatever things come my way, I can trust God. Have the Word of God in your heart and in your mind so that when the storms of life hit... Instead of worrying, instead of panicking, instead of becoming an emotional wreck, you can trust in God because you know He is with you. He's got it. You can claim His promises. You can rest in His Word. Just a couple of months ago, we were in John chapters 13 through 17. Last words of Jesus with his disciples in those last eight hours before the cross. You may recall Jesus said these words. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Does Jesus want us to be freaked out? Panicked, worried, fearful. No, what he wants us to have is peace. Point number one, we will have trouble. We're not exempt. We need to, in trouble, we need to prepare as best we can. That's wisdom. But in the end, there is peace to be had. But it's only to be found in resting and trusting in our faithful God. And by the way, you cannot trust God with your problems and with your trials and find rest and peace if you don't know Him and have a relationship with Him. If you haven't already done so, God invites you today in a relationship with Him to be born again as His child, 
John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, To all have received him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to enter into relationship with him. That's where peace is found. There also may be someone listening this morning who has trusted in Jesus as Savior. You're a child of God, but you haven't been living in relationship with him because you've been going your own way instead of his way. I urge you to come back to him today because, again, it's only in walking in relation with him where there is peace, even in the difficulties in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's practical. It's important. The reality is all of us will face difficult times. But even as we read in the words of Jesus, he desires that we have peace in such times. And that's only found through him. The one who has overcome and the one who is coming back one day. The one who has guaranteed our future in heaven the one who walks with us every step of the way in this world, even through the trials and the difficulties, the one who never leaves us and never forsakes us. So, Father, may we be those who rest in you, who find strength in you, and may you, through those difficulties and troubles that come into our lives, may you do even as you have promised May you use them for our good. May you use them to accomplish your purpose. May you use them to bring great glory to you. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.